Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. For a lot of us, starting our own business is the dream. But how often do we think about the reality? When a venture grows beyond ourselves and we start hiring or seeking funding, we're suddenly responsible to so many more people than just ourselves. The marriage of money and people has always been a complex one to navigate. And if it's your first time moving between these spaces, there are plenty of traps for young players. But for today's guest, Daryl Lim, the reality was worth embracing because it meant he was able to be true to himself. Daryl is the co-founder of Augmentus, a robotics and manufacturing company. And over the last three years, its astounding growth has forced some serious learnings upon Daryl. Daryl joins the podcast to discuss being a pragmatic business owner, being profitable and accountable, and following your own true path. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, firstly, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome, Daryl. Daryl. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Super excited to be here as well, Michelle. 
Awesome. So, you know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing in AI and robotics, I knew I had to have you come in the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Super excited to be here. I mean, love to share my story and kind of like how everything started as well. Yes. Oh, that's what we're here to do. So I can't wait to get into it. So for our peers out there listening, and for those of us who don't know what you do and who you are, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Prior to Augmentus, I was actually in companies like uh, Citibank, uh, Seagate. I even started this mini kind of uh, micro business that does like PC building. Uh, and also we sold like storage solutions to governments, to businesses, uh, mainly in Southeast Asia. That was me, I think five, six years ago. My co-founders and I, we started Augmentus uh, three years ago in 2019. So it's been some time since then. Uh, the company has grown from you know, the three of us. Right now, it's roughly around 20 people. Uh, and we are always growing, we're always hiring, especially good talent. And in a nutshell, just to share with everyone as well, Augmentus is a robotic software company. So we pioneer very easy and rapid robot programming. So you can think of it a bit like Canva, like the Wix or like the Squarespace, right? Of robot programming. We do no code. So we make it very easy. Like uh, someone like yourself, I assume you're not a robotic engineer. You'll be able to use our system to operate and develop very advanced uh, industrial systems uh, across different applications as well. Ah, it's so cool, Daryl. It's like you're working in things that have got to do with the future, which is just (laughs) so, so cool to see. And I guess I can't wait to dive deeper into your business. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Oh, that's a super interesting question. First time I've received it, to be honest. Uh, so I'm from Singapore, so I was born and raised here. I actually didn't grow up in a very affluent like neighborhood. So I attended neighborhood schools where we were like the top school in Singapore. We were like maybe the bottom, bottom five or bottom six. <laughs> so nothing to be too proud of, but I would say that that entire experience really shaped me uh, into how I want to live my life because I see you don't really come from such an uh, affluent uh, background. Usually you would have to... Uh, think of creative ways, right? Think of innovative ways to try to make, either make ends meet or try to do things to get what you want, right? So let's say, for instance, you want to get, uh, back then, right? I was a bit of a nerd, right? So I like Gundam, right? So I want, want to buy this Gundam toy. cost like $200 back then. And I, my pocket allowance was maybe $5 a day, right? So I was like, ah, oh, shucks, what do I do? So I, what I did was that I, I bought some, like maybe iPhone parts, right? That helped repair my friend's iPhones. Uh, they then they give me like maybe $50 or $60 in profit. And then I, I, I assimilated that and then bought a condom with it. So it's like things like that, you see, that really uh, brought out the entrepreneurial bug in me, I would say, since the early days, since like uh, for Singaporeans, it's like around poly and, and secondary school, early poly days. And yeah, looking back right now, I would say th- those are the key moments in life that shaped me to where I am today. Yeah. That's so fascinating how you were fixing iPhones and like gathering all your pennies so that you could go off and, you know, buy what you wanted to buy. I think really at the end of the day, that is the basics of business and entrepreneurship. I think these days it's so glamorized, but really what you were doing back then like makes complete sense and like clearly worked out for you. So I guess what role did your parents play in 
you know, shaping who you are. And I guess when you were growing up, you know, you mentioned it wasn't super affluent, just kind of getting by. What did they do and what influence did they have on you? So they were super like supportive uh, parents and they were were great role models. I mean, when I say I wasn't affluent, I don't mean that we were poor. They, They provided me with many, many things. And by all means, or like in many different terminologies, I would say that we are a lot better to do uh, than a lot of uh, some of my peers as well. So the support that they gave from like kind of like financial perspective and also from like emotional perspective was very good. So my parents, uh, my mom is a stay-at-home mom. Uh, she used to work uh, in a real estate industry. When three of us came up, uh, she, she spent most of her time taking care of us, which is amazing in of itself. And my dad, uh, he's a real estate agent. So uh, he's sort of an entrepreneur if you think about it, right? Like these kind of agents, they are self-employed. They have to kind of find business by themselves, don't really have a boss that looks after them 24-7 and spoon feeds them, right? They have to really hustle in a sense. So I would say those are some of the critical factors as well. Like see how he's very self-independent. He doesn't really just follow orders and do things. He does things because he wants to do them to achieve a certain outcome that he has for himself. So it's things like that, really. I think it's all these small things they add up to, to build where I am today, yeah. For sure. You know, if our peers out there listening who love that idea of self-independence that you mentioned of kind of trying to figure it out yourself and trying to perhaps make it on your own in quotations, you know, for us, you know, what advice would you give to us around this idea of hustle and and self-independence? I mean, what did your dad teach you when it comes to that? Yeah, I would think the biggest lesson that I've learned, definitely from my parents as well, and also from like this entire endeavor for entrepreneurs or people looking to start something for themselves is to be really self-aware, self-aware enough that you understand your strengths and your weaknesses, right? I think this is very important. So you need to understand where you're really good in. Then if the things that you're not that good in or you're like a bit weak in, you should definitely find allies or like buddies, right? That you can like delegate the work to them. Uh, co-founders, right? That's another term that we use in the industry, right? Co-founders. This is super important that uh, you want to double down on the, the things that you're really good at. And you don't want to waste time learning things that you're not good at, right? Your time is better spent being super focused, super niche. So if you're a salesman, sell, 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 sell. Don't like sell, sell, 50% sell, 50% code. You should, if you are doing that, something's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And for our peers out there listening who perhaps are just starting out, you know, they've got an idea in their back of their mind. They're like, I think I want to do this thing. And I, you know, I know I've got some of the skills required, but maybe I don't have all of them. But I also don't have much capital. You know, it's just me. I'm perhaps working my full-time job and I really want to try this thing on the side. You know, what advice would you give around managing your skill set and trying your best in those early days when it's just you, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I would say is that we live in an incredible time for entrepreneurship. Uh, Two reasons, right? The first reason is that uh, we have a lot of resources right now. In Singapore, the government is pushing quite a lot of uh, initiatives for first-time founders, right? There's really a lot of support here. So what this means is that with those support and resources, uh, you can definitely outsource quite a lot of the work that you may not be that good in and for a relatively cheap cost. So let's say if you have no capital, uh, you can definitely find interns, right? Some some interns uh, are not paid, right? They don't mind to not be paid because they, they want to learn, they want to grow. And if as long as you can provide them that opportunity to grow, uh, they'll be very, very happy. The second reason is actually with regards to 
the nature of uh, no-code platforms in the market. So I'm not talking about Augmentus, right? Augmentus is very niche, right? Robotics, manufacturing. I'm talking about things like Webflow. Uh, there's a lot of these kind of uh, platforms that you can build uh, ap- applications without, without the need for coding. So at the end of the day, I would say there's no better time to start a business, especially like compared to 10 years ago. Uh, the biggest advice I would give is actually really to just start, right? To just really kickstart it. You have an idea, start validating. Uh, the important step is really to just validate early, right? Because you do not want to grow your company with these assumptions that you have that, that are not validated because you just assume they're validated, but they're not. So you need to do a lot of quantifiable A-B testing to validate. And then that would allow you to really scale it once it's ready to be scaled. Such valuable advice. I want to dive into the transition that you made when you decided, you know what, I've been working for a while now, I'm going to go out on my own. You know, you mentioned that you were in corporate for a while and then after that you kind of started something on your own. I mean, I think I saw you were the head of product and operations at Edge Neo or something like that um, for a couple of years. I don't know if that was your own or or not, but talk to us a little bit about the transition from working for someone else to deciding to go out on your own. Yeah. So this is something that I would say most uh, startup founders would probably agree with is that uh, it's not that we hate working for for someone else, right? It's that you want some level of control in your life to, to dictate your path. Right. So freedom is a word that can be used, but I would say you're probably less free from, uh, from that definition of the word if you start something. Uh, but it's more about you having control of your own destiny and, and your own path. So for me, when I was kind of like a fun associate uh, when I was in Citibank, so it was quite a decent job. It was an ironized bowl. Uh, if I just go down that career path, I probably would be able to sustain myself very, very well. But it just didn't hit me, right? Because... I was working with people that uh, that didn't really want to improve or like grow themselves in a way that I wanted to be pushed, right? I wanted to be, be grown. And I did a lot of repetitive things. I remember I did so many repetitive and boring things uh, at the end of the day. And it's just something that I knew I didn't want to live my life, uh, the rest of my life like that, right? And then the second thing is also with regards to my age and my face in life. I'm young. I'm like around 20. Back then, I was around 25, 26. I was quite young. Uh, the risk that I can take is a lot more than maybe five, 10 years later. So I was like, let's, let's just do it now. I have an amazing team, co-founders. I have an idea, a, a problem that needs to be solved and an idea that has a huge potential in solving it. Uh, there's no better time to start than now. And I would say that not everyone would uh, be in a situation like I was in like three years ago. It's something that you have to accept the fact that some things come before us in life. So when you are starting something, it's really about opportunity. At that phase of your life, you're, you're willing to, to start something. Then you have an amazing team. That's a big plus, huge plus. Amazing team is a huge plus. And an amazing, a, a very specific problem that you want to solve, a huge plus. But what if you don't have all those? Then it's totally fine to not start something. It's really fine. No one should condemn you for working in a nine-to-five corporate job. It's a very respectable decision in of itself. Yeah. I'm nodding along furiously. Piers, you can't see me, but I am absolutely nodding along because so much of what you're saying, Daryl, I just so agree with. 
You know, I think the one thing that does come up, though, is this idea of fear and fear of failure and being scared to make a fool of yourself when you have a really cushiony, great job, you know, and as you said, you know, you could do pretty well for yourself. For those of us tuning in today, what advice would you give around navigating through that fear of failure, especially when you're about to make a completely different life choice and a change in your life? Actually, this is an amazing question because uh, I was actually given an offer uh, before Augmentus. Okay, so at the early days of Augmentus, like before we were incorporated, you know, we all we were like like meeting clients, meeting people, like testing the idea out. Uh, before we were incorporated, and I was offered a really good position uh, in in the US, right? So then there was an opportunity cost, right? Do I do I go to this relatively high paying starting position, or do I risk it all? for no pay in a company that may or may not succeed, right? So, so it's the same. It's the same thing. It's a fear of failure. How I overcame it is I read this amazing book and they shared this matrix that they use. It's called the regret matrix. So it's something that may seem seemingly simple, but then we are, we are humans. We are emotional, right? So the question at the end of the day is how do you rationalize an emotional situation, which most things in life are emotional situations. So don't think that they are not. So this is probably one of the most emotional situations because your security, your job, your, your career, your future. So how I did it, and uh, I use this regret matrix. Basically what it is, is that you compare three or four scenarios. If you go down this path, five years from now, looking back, how much will you regret it? That's scenario one. And scenario two, how much will you regret that? And then scenario three, how much will you regret that? So you try to quantify the value of each decision based on regret, not based on monetary benefit, right? So you quantify it based on regret. Because sometimes in life, you would understand those perspectives more than just about money. But then if it's about other factors, then regret would be one of the biggest matrices that I use personally. And that allowed me to really decide on augmenters. Because if I don't start this now with all these factors, right, the team, the problem, the, the early customer validation being so right versus this one, a stable job, it was it was very obvious for me to make that, make that decision. But before I did that regret matrix, to be honest, I was really in a tight uh, pinch as well. I couldn't make a decision as well. Yeah. That is so valuable, Daryl. I'm actually going to start using that because, I mean, there are so many decisions after you've made the big decision to take the leap into starting your own business that just come up. And I think as entrepreneurs, we have to constantly get really good at making decisions every single day. And sometimes we don't know if they're right. I want to talk a bit about finance, you know, and a bit about capital and making your business viable, you know. So you mentioned that you guys have been three years in deep now and, you know, you've got a team of 20. How does that happen? What did that journey look like in terms of the financial side of being able to create your product and whatnot? And for our peers out there listening, you know, what would be your advice around funding your idea? Uh, that's a good question. So at the early days of Augmentors, we were completely bootstrapped. So I think quite a few of us, we put in, I think, uh, slightly, maybe slightly over 50K around there. So not too much, but it allowed us to really kickstart the entire uh, product development, product building. Then at the end of the day, you can look at it from uh, three key perspectives, right? So one is sales and business development. The second one is product and technology development. 
And the last one is more about just operations, right, in general. Like how do you operate to sell, right? So it's very different. These are the three very high-level overviews of what the company uh, will need to, to do. So at the early days, maybe operations, you know, just put one side, right? No one, no one cares about operations. Then you have sales BD and product development. Early days, not really that much sales, but you would still need to do a lot of validation. So that's where the sales and BD role will come to play in. So maybe you're not generating revenue, but you are really validating the product and the idea and what the product should be in the long run. As long as you don't pay yourself, right? So if you start paying yourself, then the question would be why are you paying yourself uh, in the early days? Unless you have needs, right? Then that's your provocative. Uh, then the second one is product development. So that's probably the one that will take most of the resources. And I've seen different ways in which uh, companies can do it. One way is they do everything internal, right? Because the only reason why you want to do that is because you have, you have IP, you have intellectual property, you have patents that you want, to, you want to protect. But if you don't really have it, my advice would be to outsource. Because when you outsource to like a company or like a dev house, usually the cost is a lot, lot lower. Maybe the first upfront payment you may think is a lot, like maybe 10K, 20K. But in hindsight, right, if you hire two or three engineers, the you will take longer to build, that's number one. And number two, is going to be more costly in the long run as well. So that is kind of the early days. Uh, but for us, we have IP, we have patents, so everything was in-house. So we did hire a few interns at the beginning to really get things running. And then we built a few iterations of the product and then we started getting revenue. And then the revenue we funneled into hiring more developers as well. So those were the early days. And once we formed very significant traction with our clients and our partners, we raised our first round of funding. So we raised the seed funding in 2020. Then we completed our second round of funding Q1 this year, so 2022, we closed it. So for Augmentus, we did around two rounds of funding so far. And we probably will be raising uh, in the coming few, maybe around next year or the following year as well. But we are generating revenue. So that allows us to sustain ourselves for quite some time as well. But yeah, so that's kind of like the growth trajectory that we have at Augmentus right now. So helpful. It's just so interesting, Daryl. I think so much of the time, you know, people, at least I do, I look at companies and go, how are you funding yourself? You know, how does this work? And I think when you're deep in the roots and you know what it takes to generate revenue, to ultimately generate a profit, you just see things so differently. And so that was most definitely helpful to me and hopefully a lot of our peers out there listening. Oh, Daryl, I mean, look, we could talk for days and days. I'm just... I'm mindful of your time. So I've got a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? I would say my greatest failure so far is more on a human resource level. So like sometimes company is not growing fast enough that we hope to be. So there are certain conversion points with maybe like our trainees or interns that we kind of wanted them to convert to full-time role, uh, but we can't do it because of the growth of the company. And I think for those that uh, runs companies, you will definitely understand uh, where I'm coming from. It's because sometimes one of the most difficult decisions that you would have to make is to let someone go. Right. It may not be seen as seen as a failure, but to me it was something that I really hated it, right? Something that I I, I love to work with you. I think we have tremendous potential, but it's just at this point of time in the company's journey, we can't afford to hire you. Uh, and then to me it is a bit of a failure point. I think I maybe I'm just an emotional person as well. So that was something that impacted me quite a bit. Yeah. 
I think that's so tough to be able to, the people part for me as well. I think for a lot of the entrepreneurs who I interview and those of you listening in, like, I think that is just the toughest part of business. You know, what would, what has been your greatest learning when it comes to people and team building and management? From team building and management, I would say the biggest thing is to have empathy. So a lot of times, I mean, I come from the corporate world as well and it's very common for supervisors to abuse their power. I think most people in the corporate world would believe that their RO or their reporting officer is not really that good of an RO. And it's very common. The reason for that is simple is because a lot of them, they're not trained to be uh, managers. What happens usually is that they will associate, they get promoted to become a manager position and then they don't have the experience, right? So you are probably one of their first subordinates, right? But for us, I think one of the benefits is that three of us, we do have some experience in mentoring and guiding people. I believe that helps us a lot in terms of how we structure our trainings with our team, how we do daily catch-ups with them. Like we try to do it once a, once a month or, or once every two months later, right? To see how they're going, how's their career progression, what, what do you think we, we need to do more to help you do your job better, right? Something like that. So these are things that uh, it's very important. It all comes with empathy, right? Standing in the shoes of your employees to see what do they want out of augmenters or how are they feeling, right? And then you can craft the entire career journey to fit that uh, perspective as well. Yeah. So, so valuable. Look, Daryl, over the last three years in business, three years plus, you've grown from strength to strength. You know, you've received so much recognition for your work and most recently you were featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? I would say the first thing is, uh, I think I've said this a bit, but I just want to remind everyone to really be focused. In a startup, in a company, there's so much things to do, right? There's HR, legals, uh, marketing, BD, whatever. There's so much things to do. And it can be very, it's very common for founders, especially, to be so deep in doing all these thousand and one things that they don't stay focused on what they are supposed to do. And I'll share with you the three things that I believe founders need to be competent in and needs to do on a day-to-day basis. So the first one is to be aware of how to make the company reach profitability. So the path to profitability, there's a big one. So that involves strategy, that, that involves client acquisition, that involves so much things, but that's the number one focus. Number two is regarding product defensibility and competitiveness. Right. So how do you make your product competitive and defensible? So that's, that's the second one. And the last one is about company financials. So the three or the three or four of you co-founders or two co-founders, you need to be competent in these three aspects. These three aspects cannot be delegated or outsourced. Everything else can. Uh, product development can be outsourced if, if it fits you. Marketing can be outsourced. Right? So many things can be outsourced. But these three things can't be outsourced. And that is why focus is so important. The second one, uh, I truly believe self-awareness is very important. I've seen so many founders, they believe that they can do so many things, but in fact, they do have a strength for them to lean on and they don't identify other things as weaknesses, right? Because sometimes ego gets the better of us. Uh, it's just very common, even for me as well. I, I do fall for this trap. And the last one uh, I would really say is to really cherish those uh, around you as more than just colleagues, 
maybe even your investors, right? Treat them as though they are part of your family because at the end of the day, in your company is like your family. And ideally speaking, right, the people working here shouldn't feel like it's a job. It's a bit cliche, but this is what we, we kind of try to do, right? We try to really have this kind of company culture because the growth of the team is the growth of the company. So that's something that we really strive to do, yeah. Oh, so well said, Daryl. Before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Daryl, for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, particularly us young, ambitious millennials, that, you know, if we have that vision, that goal and that dream, although it may be tough and we will have to try and find the right people to come with us on the journey, we can get there. It is possible. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thanks, Michelle, for the kind words. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? That's a very deep uh, question. And it's a, I would say it's a multifaceted uh, answer that I may, I may give, but it's a bit philosophical as well. For me, uh, as a human being, I generally am a more philosophical person by nature. Like I, I do things not because there's a practical reason. I do things because there's a moral and philosophical nature to it. And for me, doing things that you're really passionate about ties back into being true to yourself. So what I mean by this is that I truly believe that people should act out how they believe that they need to act out in life so that they can be sure of themselves and have confidence in their life, right? So being passionate and, um, and doing something that you really love to do is a very big part about living to your true self. So what I mean by this is that if let's say you work in a nine to five like corporate job and you maybe you don't like it, like maybe like your accountant or like whatever role, right? And you really hate it, like you're a corporate slave in a sense. I'm not saying everyone is, but what if you feel this way? And you're doing it maybe just for the sake of money, sake of that ability. If you need it, I think that's fine. But if you have opportunities elsewhere, I truly believe that you living in that situation is you're not living to your true self. And what this means is that your life would be a life of compromise in a sense. So you wouldn't be confident in places that you should be confident in. Uh, you would be doubtful in places that you shouldn't be doubtful in, it, it does have a lot of trickle-down effects across the entire spectrum of your life. And that is why the regret matrix for me is very important, is that you look at things that you would regret in, and then you be truthful to yourself about that, right? Maybe there's this IB job or a consulting job that pays very well. You really want to do it. The money is so good. But then you know that it's not something that you want to do. Right, so you do this regret matrix without other opportunities, and then even though the money is more, but you regret more not not doing the other things. That's you being truthful to yourself, you being truthful to your passions, your desires. But then again, this is a multifaceted question because there's so many things, so many other factors like maybe your, your family situation, your financial situation that comes into play. So at the end of the day, for me, it boils down to your regret uh, in life. Live your life without regrets and be truthful to yourself. Regardless of your decisions and regardless of your passions, I think that is how people should live their life. That's my perspective, yeah. Oh, Daryl! Oh my goodness. So well said. Thank you so much. Where can we learn more about you and Augmentus? 
yeah, I mean, thanks for uh, reaching out to me and scheduling this. I think this is an amazing podcast. I, I, I've heard about it actually from some of my friends in Australia oh. as well. Yeah, and we do have some clients in Australia and we go there uh, a bit regularly as well. So uh, maybe once we drive down to you, I can go and visit you. <laughs> Absolutely, Daryl. Absolutely. <laughs> so kind. So kind. So you can learn more about me on LinkedIn. You can search Daryl Lim or Quantus. I'm sure you can find me. And connect with me. I would love to uh, connect with those that are interested in what we do. And of course, if you need any advice, always here to help out as well. Amazing, Daryl. We'll link him up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, Head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. Peers.